How many of you have ever thought about the future and made a plan? Not, not everybody. Either that or you're, you fly by the seat of your pants all the time. I don't know. I usually like to think a couple moves out. Like, this is where we're going so that we can go here. We, we do that in our house pretty often, actually, to, to think about, all right, where would we like to be or what would we like to do here? And then what are the steps to take that we need to to get from this point to that one? Emily likes to make lists. She laughs. About any time we go on vacation or any time we go camping, Emily makes about four different lists. Things that, that are, we're here right now, we want to be uh, visiting family in Iowa, going camping by ourselves. What will take us, uh, the two adults and five kids that we have right here, to get to that point alive and well and happy and with everything that we need to have done? So like list number one is the car rides. What do we need to have in the car for these five kiddos that allow them to, to be occupied and, and interested and, 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 and uh, <laughs> occupied is basically the one. Uh, so where they're not asking, are we there yet? This is boring, right? List number one, how to occupy the children. List number two, what do we need to actually take along? She makes a list for the kids, get four pairs of, you know, pants, get four shirts, get like 18 pairs of underwear, and, you know, or not really that, but like, right, there's a list of things you need to bring, all the, the, those types of things. There's a list of the technology items that we need to remember that help people sleep at night, people who need certain pillows, or people who need certain levees, people who need white noise. All of those things, and I, I got lost. I don't even know what the next one is. Oh, things we need to do at the home so that when, when we come here and then we plan on going back, that we don't come home with the compost still on the counter or the trash still in the, the kitchen, under the kitchen sink, or, or worse yet, that we forgot to take out the diaper trash upstairs, right? So you can come back from wherever you're going in a good manner. I don't know how many of you need to make lists like that when you leave town. Probably not many. But perhaps there's other times where we come up with a goal or something we're planning on doing and we say this is what we need to do in the meantime before we get there. Like people who go and want to run a race, right Lee? You usually just wake up the morning of and say, hey, I'm going to go run half marathon today. Is that what you do, Lee? You, that's not the answer you're supposed to give me. He said, sure. Uh, that's usually not what he does because I know because he's a part of running groups. And he, and he meets with people and he trains and he says, I'm going to run this far on this day and then I'm going to take a, a day of rest and I'm going to run this far. And, and this day is going to be the long day. 
where I'm going to go push a little bit further. So that way, when you get to that point of whatever you're planning on doing or whatever the end goal is, that you are prepared and ready. Right? That's not, he's giving the thumbs up. He says, yeah, that's, that's more like it, right? Or, or maybe you think of financial freedom. Maybe someone wants to, to be without debt, and they don't just wake up one morning and be like, all right, I'm going to put all my money towards my debt but then not have anything for actually living, like food and, and gas to get to their job and things like that. They're going to come through steps by maybe saying, I'm not going to have Starbucks every day. And, and then they backtrack, all right, I'm not going to have Starbucks every day, every week, but you know, maybe twice a week. And they put that towards that opportunity to pay off that debt and to become more financially free. Whatever the, the plan is, whatever we're we're trying to accomplish whatever the end goal, there's usually some steps and some guidance that need to be taken to get to that point. So now we backtrack 43 weeks and we start this sermon series on Scripture so we can get to know the whole story of Scripture where Christ created, or God created, and that they fell and God chose the Israelites and the Israelites followed but then they failed. And, and then God continues to, to pursue after them with that never stopping, never giving up, always and forever. I see you were listening for 43 weeks. Love, good, I'm glad you could end that. Uh, and gave us Jesus. Jesus came and he died and then he rose from the dead and he went up to heaven to, to sit at the right hand of God the Father, and he can open the scroll, and at one point in time, he is going to come back and restore all things. But, you know, we're kind of we're back over here still. We're waiting because we haven't gotten to the point where Jesus is back yet. And, and what are the steps, what are the things that, that we need to be doing or that God is asking us to do before this day comes where we... And so we think about the already and the not yet, an easy concept to think about. Or we think of things like, be in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? And so that we're going to spend two weeks, not 43, two weeks thinking about what it is that God is calling us to do as people. What is next? Now that we know God's story and we're anticipating and waiting for Jesus' return, what do we do? Some would say, well, this isn't my home. And we're just kind of twiddling our thumbs. Is Jesus back yet? Right? And, 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 and we're just waiting. We're not, this isn't our world. It's, it's not our home. It doesn't really matter what happens here because I'm saved. I'm just, just waiting for this new thing. Well, that's not quite right. We're, we're not just biding our time waiting for Jesus to come. Instead, God has a message for his people and, and a mission for his people. And so we're going we're gonna to think about that in terms of thinking about the Israelites in exile. About midway through our story, the Jesus Storybook Bible, we looked, I think, at a passage where it talked about how the Israelites were not following God and that God was going to send someone to oppress them, to take them out of their home, to destroy the temple, and, and take them to a land that wasn't their own. 
And so we're going to go back to that place where the Israelites are not in their home anymore. They're, they're in someone else's land. They need to kind of start all over building houses or, or whatnot. And, and what is it that God calls them to do? In the background, there's this prophet Jeremiah that's talking to the people of Israel. But he's not the only one. There's, there's other prophets as well. And, and these other prophets are saying, hey guys, don't worry about it. It's going to be just a few weeks and God's going to do something and he's going to bring us back and, and he's going he's to make things right again and we're going to go home, right? Giving, giving people this false sense of hope of, of when this thing's going to take place where Jeremiah says, yeah, don't listen to them. They're not right. God has spoken to me and this is going to be in it. You're going to be in it for the long haul here. You're going to be in it for generations. You're going to be here a while and God has specific instruction for you while you are here in exile, not home, waiting for the hope of home. We have some things for you to do. So we're going to look at Jeremiah 29. We're going to start at verse 1, then we're going to skip to verse 4 through 7. And if we, if we get it on the screen, there we go. <clears throat> Jeremiah 9, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles to the priests. <clears throat> the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is Jeremiah writing to Babylon, to the people in exile there, about what it is they should be doing in this exilic time period. Verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You hear that? I carried. God carried them into exile. He said, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your son and give your daughters into marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers you, you too, if it prospers, you too will prosper. You're going to be in it for the long haul, Jeremiah says. And then he gives 11 commands in three verses. And I think I have them there. There we go. You missed them. Build, live, or settle, plant, and eat, and marry, and have, that's have children, and take uh, or find uh, spouses for your daughters, right? Give and increase and seek and pray. Build and live and plant and eat and marry and have and take and give and increase and seek and pray. All of those imperative commands that these are the things that you need to do. Don't just think about it, but actually respond and live according to what God has commanded you, the Israelites. 
all of these imperative commands, they, they actually imply that, that they are going to have success in doing all of these things away from home. They will have success even though they're not in Jerusalem, that, that their fields will grow, that they will build houses, that they will have enough food to eat, that their families and people will increase and not decrease. It's, it's like God is going to ensure the existence and reestablish this community of blessing, protected from danger here in this place that is not their home. God's going to keep them from the things that would most likely happen to a people brought into exile, which is death and slavery. Instead of seeing death and slavery, they too will, will be able to live amongst the people and be prosperous. These uprooted people are invited to invest their life where God has placed them in a new realm, a new place, and yet God is going to divinely bless them in the process. So, the Israelites listen. And they, they, they begin to invest in these cities where, where they were brought. They were brought there because they, they hadn't been caring for the poor and they hadn't been caring for the widow and the orphan and those people in need. And, and so perhaps they... They, they realized that, and they started not only building and investing, but they, they started caring for those individuals in troubled positions. Instead of the wealthy taking advantage of the poor, which we read about, they, they helped and sought the benefit of all people within the Babylonian city. Seeing to it that that country that is not their own, that place that is not their own, would, would prosper seeking the welfare of the city. They started businesses and, and created new jobs for people to have. They, they didn't wait to get married until they got back to Jerusalem. and Instead, they, they got married in the place that w wasn't their home, and, and they began to have, have children increasing their number. What that really means is you're going to be here over a generation. Because... Not only are your, you're going to have kids, but then your kids are going to end up getting married and, and they're going to end up having kids. And, and then you're, at that point in time, I've heard that you get older, right? And, and the thing about that is they were, they were not supposed to, like in other points in time, look at this exilic time period as still a time of war, right? They're not in their home. That, that maybe they should, should rise up and fight the power and, and get back home. That's not what he's telling them to do. Instead, he's telling them to settle in. In, invest in it and, and live here as if you were living in Jerusalem itself. And even though you're doing that, I, I'm not going to forget you. Because there's the 20, verse 29, uh, or verse 11 in chapter 29. Uh, which talks about God having a, a hope and a future for the people. That, that he won't forget them. That he won't forget this population that is, is not in their home, that have been 
brought out into exile, that he wouldn't forget them there, that, that he would one day remember them and bring them back to where they're supposed to be. Jeremiah, he invites his audience to abandon a hope of a holy revolt against Babylon, which was, that was what the false prophets were telling them to do. It's going to be short. We just got to fight. Instead, they placed their hope in, in, in what uh, Jeremiah had to say, a long exile and a slow return of God's people to the place they came from. As they began to seek the welfare of the enemy. Seeking the welfare of the enemy. In a divided world today, maybe that's a message we need. Seeking the welfare of the enemy. In a, in a world today where differing opinions have a hard time listening to one another. In a world where sometimes political divisions cause rifts in families where they can't even talk to each other anymore. In a, in a world where political divisions always sees the other side as the enemy, which maybe the path forward isn't digging in our heels in our own trench, but instead working together to invest in the cities and the places that we live. Together, seeking the welfare, joining together, seeking the benefit of the places that we live. Praying, action word number 11, for the very nation that we live. For we too are people in exile. We're, we're waiting for that one day when Jesus will come back and restore all things. Restore not only ourselves, restore the dead from the ground, but restore the very earth that we live in. And that, that final destination is not something that we just sit back and wait for. We're not just waiting to find our eternal home and somehow be lifted up in the sky and have no worries. That's, that's not quite what we're called to do. Yes, God will bring us to that place, but he has a purpose for you and for me here right now. Some people like to be like the false prophets and say, well, you know, Jesus is going to come back this year. And then they're wrong. And they, well, I did the calculations wrong. It's actually this time or it's this time and this time. Let's not spend our time wondering when it's going to happen because in reality, Jesus himself said in Mark 13, 21, but about that day, that, that day of the consummation of this world, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor Jesus himself. But only the Father knows when it happens. So let's not waste our time with thinking Jesus is going to come back today or tomorrow and planning on it and placing our hope on that. Instead, let us place our hope on Christ and what he has called us to do, that he will come back, that he has a plan and a purpose for us to live out our life today and then invest and follow in that. So what does that look like? Uh -oh, what does it 
what does it look like to be in exile and, and to live for God, to love our neighbors and lead people to Christ today? Our mission statement. Instead of digging in bunkers and fortifying the walls of our church to try to keep everybody and anybody out and to try to protect ourselves, perhaps God is calling us to do something else, to, to get out of the building, to, to be among people, to, to, to seek the welfare of our neighbors and our brethren and the people that are here in this world. To, to not just seek the well-being of the people here in this building, but to seek the welfare of, of the, the people who live in the homes right next to ours or down or, or the people that we walk by that we used to smile at, but now our masks are on and we can't do that in the grocery store. To, to seek the betterment of everyone. And it's something that we Westerners have a really hard time doing because we have so ingrained in our lives this individual, individualistic aspect of ourselves. A me-first-centeredness, which causes us to think more about how things affect us than how we affect other people. But if we're called to seek the welfare of the cities that we're in, we have to recognize that Jeremiah 29.11 isn't an individualistic passage that's about only you. God has a future and a hope for you, Emily. No, it's a communal passage that says God has a future and a hope for all of his people who will be blessed by the investing and caring for and nurturing of a city to that, to that would be fruitful. To that those would, uh, the people there would be multiplying. That there would be financial gain. That was all what those, uh, those words were about. That there would be prosperity when we invest in the city. And when the city prospers, then you too will prosper. Now the, the problem about this is we've said it, it's going to take maybe a long time to get to where we need to go. And for the, the Israelites, it took a long time for them to get back to where they were, and, and, and likely the older people among them weren't going to see the day when they were going to return. They weren't going to see the day of that hope or that, that prosperous city of, in Babylon. But it didn't mean they, they stopped working. Instead, they too would, would invest in what they might not see gain in. That they would, they would continue to plant year after year after year, even though they might not actually be there to, to receive and to take up the harvest. We're part of a, 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 a path that will take generations as we continue to invest in the city, investing in the places that we live, that they would be restored to God. It's going to take a while. I might not be here to see the day. And God uses each and every one of us. It's, it's not just that he uses the staff members at church. God, God's calling all people to himself to use their time, their talents, and their gifts to live for him, not just here in this building, but, but outside of the building. 
talking about building houses. Maybe you build houses. Maybe it's continuing to build houses, framing them up, and, and working to create conditioned spaces. Stu isn't here. You do that, right? And, and that people would be able to live and be fruitful in these new homes that we're developing to make way for more homes for other people to live in. The work of the kingdom as they, they build up people and spaces. The work of the kingdom in holistic education of students. People who would nurture and care for the minds of the young people that develop today, that they too would, would have a kingdom, other-centered uh, centered mind that focuses on other individuals, not just themselves. Kingdom work as, as you seek out the hurt and broken by bandaging wounds or giving care in hospitals or homes. Kingdom work as you assist in raising young children who always seem to create a mess. We cleaned a room yesterday and it was messy this morning. How does that happen? But continuing that slow work. Continuing kingdom work and in, in, in building up teamwork among kids by coaching them in sports to to think about not just being a ball hog, but how they can work together as a team to complete a goal. Assisting in the kingdom. But sometimes we look back and we, we have a hard time seeing a huge kingdom impact in, in some of the things that we do. How does this relate, Steve, to, to God's purposes in the world? But that's only taking a short-sighted perspective. We'll think about one ministry here at Princeton. Family promise. We haven't had it in the last year because they've been, been uh, luckily able to host families in hotels, but, but family promise is a ministry that we've taken apart for, I think, 22 years, technically. This year would be year 22. Started in 1999, or we did. The organization started with promising to help homeless individuals and, and people in low-income families to receive financial independence, a place that they would call their own home. If you just looked at it as a short-term impact, well, one year, four weeks of housing. And we, we gave some people some meals. And, and you wouldn't think about that being much of an impact. Four weeks. It's not even a quarter of a year. Maybe a month. Spanned across the, the year. But when perhaps you get a kingdom perspective, Kate O'Keefe, the development director, sends out this report that says the impact a church has made through the, the lifetime of them helping out. And, and these are, are the numbers that you think when you think about the long game, about slow progress of, of helping out over 80 weeks of housing for various families. 80 weeks, that's over a year of housing provided by this church in this building that works so well for it. She says that's around, or that's over 8,000 bed nights when you think about individuals that are staying in a bed. 8,000 people have slept in this place. Over 8,000 meals have been served to, to give them something to eat. 
And they say this, that it would have taken likely over 20,000 hours of volunteer work from our congregation and the others that join with us to complete those tasks. The, long, the longer game rather than the short one. The, the impact that we see. If they would have to buy all of those things like what they've had to do this past year. They have to pay for hotel rooms for families to stay in each family with their own hotel room, if they have to pay for catering services or, or food to, to come in and, and volunteers to help out with those things, over the course of the time that we've done it, that would amount to over $800,000. Where instead of them paying $800,000 out of pocket, there's this long gain, long-term thought process that's happening here that we believe in what this this uh, family promise is about, that we want to take part in step by step, week after week, four times a year, to see progress in people no longer being financially insecure, living homeless lives, that instead there would be steps and steps and steps that would bring them to financial security, a place to call their own home with organizations, investing in the city, seeing the betterment of our society one week at a time, one day at a time, one, one meal that we serve, one conversation that we have. I think in a, a time of extreme division and polarity, that's, that's what we need. We just think about the long game, the, the impact that each and every day, each and every hour that we live for Christ has on our society. That, that even though we're in exile waiting for, for Jesus to come back, that he has a, a purpose for us. That we can take those slow, methodical, mundane steps. That we, we can't really see what we did today, but but maybe 20, 30 years down the road, we see the impact that God was making in our investment in the city, our caring for one another, caring and loving the people that we see as we are on that mission together, to live for God, to love our neighbors, and to lead people to Christ. Let us take a moment and pray together. Father, we thank you that you're a God of the, the long game. It took so many years for you to, to restore and right the wrong that, that happened uh, at the fall. But you never stopped, and, and you always kept working your way, loving the people of Israel, providing a way in which Jesus would come. And now, too, you, you ask us to believe in him, but you ask us to follow that same long process of loving people, of investing in those that we see and, and caring for. So we pray that by your spirit, you would, would empower us to be on that mission. This day, in a year from now, in two years, that we would would never feel short-sighted in, in feeling that you're doing nothing through what, what you've done in us and through us. 
but that we could truly see what we do as an opportunity for a ripe harvest in the future. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Invite the worship team forward.